Welcome to the O'Reilly Data Show. I'm your host, Ben Lorica. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to remind our listeners that we do have two event series that they can go and attend and learn more about the topics covered in this podcast. The first one is called the Strata Data Conference, which you can find at strataconf.com. The second one is the Artificial Intelligence Conference, which you can find at the AIConf.com. In this episode of The Data Show, I sat down with Jeff Jonas. He is CEO, founder, and chief scientist of Sensing, a startup focused on making real-time entity resolution technologies broadly accessible. Jeff was previously a fellow and chief scientist at IBM. Entity resolution broadly refers to techniques and tools for identifying and linking manifestations of the same person, entity, or object. And ironically enough, entity resolution itself has many different names. So some people refer to it as record linkage, duplicate detection, object consolidation, or object reconciliation. Jeff will be speaking at our AI conference in London this coming October. So we had a great conversation. We talked about many things, including the evolution of entity resolution technologies, including the use of modern AI techniques. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Jeff Jonas, founder and CEO of Sensing, a new startup. Welcome to the Data Show. Howdy, Ben. So, Jeff, you have a long-standing interest in this area called entity resolution. So, first of all, at a high level, describe what this area is. And by the way, the name has a funny twist to it because it's called entity resolution. But ER itself has many names. <laughs> yes, has many. Yes, many things. Like ER could be many things. Yeah. Indeed. So, anyway, so what is uh, ER at a high level? Entity resolution is recognizing when two different records, data about a, a person or a company, for example, are about the same one, even though they may be described differently. One might say William, one might say Bill uh, Smith. You know, similar addresses, one phone number's got a plus one in front of it, the other doesn't. They're kind of fuzzy records. Entity resolution figures out how to put those together. It comes by a lot of different names, by the way. Like some people may have heard it like um, in marketing, uh, a list deduplication. Well, you're having the entity resolve the records to figure out which record's the duplicate. Uh, patient record matching, trying to figure out which patient records are about uh, the same person. That's entity resolution. Heck, if you have duplicates in your address book, like the first time you met somebody, you didn't know their last name, so you put in a question mark for last name, but the next time you met them, you got their whole name in their Yahoo email address. Those duplicates in your address book, that's an entity resolution problem. And uh, so you you described... Uh examples that involve people and individuals, but are there examples involving objects? Yeah, entity resolution is about recognizing that it's the same one. So it's not classification. Like you wouldn't say, oh, th this is a chair and that's a chair and these are all chairs. When you're doing entity resolution, you're saying it is precisely the same real world entity. It's exactly the same chair. And so to do that, you have to have enough distinguishing features on the chair to know that each chair is different. So maybe they have a different, you know, serial number or one has a mark or a scrape on it or you tagged it with your name on it. Then it's just uh, you can discriminate it from others and recognize it again. So entity resolution is about noticing it's the exact same real world thing. So it could be people, companies, cars, boats, planes, routers, asteroids. 
And I guess, Jeff, in the age of uh, Internet of Things, it, yes. it could be uh, it could be used to identify uh, basically any any object of interest that's connected to the Internet, right? Uh, same device, yeah. If a device emanates its own unique ID, then it doesn't need any fancy entity resolution. You would just call it a join. Like if every time, you know, if every device has its own IP address, then that's, that's just the ID that it's known by, then it doesn't really need entity resolution. Entity resolution, I mean, it, it would just be such a trivial form of entity resolution. You wouldn't need software because it always has the same key. So entity resolution really is about taking things that may have been described differently and knowing that it's really the same entity. So uh, you've been in this area for a long time. So uh, and now you have a new startup sensing, which is uh, still generally in the same area of entity resolution now using uh, advanced AI technology. So for those of us who don't follow this area closely, can you give us like a brief history of ER and how it has evolved over the years? I know that uh, there was a point when we were talking where this notion of big data was being thrown around and you you were excited about the applications of big data to ER. But give us a quick history of ER. Well, I'll, I'll give it uh, that history through my lens. In the early 80s, I worked with the TransUnion credit bureaus and they had collection agencies attached to them. And at a collection agency, they're collecting, they're uh, uh, aggregating bad debt and then they're reaching out and trying to locate people and say, hey, you owe us some money. And they don't want to send somebody three dunning notices for collection or call somebody three times if you have three debts. They want to make one call. So back in that day, and the term entity resolution didn't exist, I created algorithms that were called for debtor matching, figuring out that two debtors are really the same person. Sometimes they would use their middle name, not their first name. Sometimes they would transpose uh, or change one digit in their social security number. So it'd be difficult to know that they're the same. In the early 90s, I worked on a, a much more advanced version of entity resolution for the casinos in Las Vegas and created some software called Nora, Non-Obvious Relationship Awareness. Its purpose was to help casinos better understand who they were doing business with. So what would happen is we would, we would ingest data from the loyalty club, everybody making hotel reservations, people showing up without reservations, everybody applying for jobs, people terminated, vendors, and 18 different lists of different kinds of bad people, some of them card counters, which aren't that bad, some cheaters, and they wanted to figure out across all those identities when somebody was the same and then when people were related. And some people had were using like 32 different names and a bunch of different social security numbers. So that became a more advanced version than anything that uh, I had or my team had certainly ever created before. Ultimately, IBM bought my company and this technology became what is known now at IBM as Identity Insight. And Identity Insight is this real-time entity resolution engine that gets uh, used to solve really a bunch of great kinds of problems. MoneyGram uh, implemented it and their fraud complaints dropped 72%. They saved a few hundred million just in the first few years. The same entity resolution type of technology at that state allowed uh, post-Katrina to take, you know, after Katrina happened, people were registering the missing and the found in lots of different databases. 50 databases popped up. One kid opened up, created a database from his garage where people could go register missing and found people. That's an entity resolution problem. And so the technology just evolved. And then in terms of evolution, while at IBM, I was the longest standing uh, founder and CEO, by the way, to ever stay at IBM. I was the largest shareholder and they didn't expect me to stay. And then I stayed 11 and a half years. But while at IBM, 
I really had a grand vision about a new type of entity resolution engine that would have been, it's unlike anything else that's ever existed. It's almost like a Swiss army knife for ER. And I, I told IBM I'd build it for them that it was probably going to cost $50 million. And they told me to, if I could start with five people, I could get started. So I did. And so that led to this new technology. It was originally codenamed G2. And it's ultimately what we spun out and put into Sensing. But it's, it's a real-time AI for entity resolution. And it is purpose-built. We didn't use other AI to do this. We invented an AI to do it. So, Jeff, uh, so when you look at the uh, AI technologies these days, they typically have made improvements because of improvements in three areas, right? So big data, bigger models, mostly deep learning models, and, and big compute. So what has changed in ER? Is it you're getting uh, better data? What are some of the more fundamental uh, differences between the early technologies you worked on and what you're working on now? What, what we did is we evolved. In the past, it was, I would say, more around building rules. And the breakthrough was establishing more abstract principles and then interweaving common sense. Now, I say it like that because I was inspired by a Wired story maybe six months ago that it, it was just titled AI is Missing Common Sense. It's like, I don't know if you've seen some of the, the uh, university work that's been done, but you can take a picture of a bus, change a few pixels, and the machine says, it's an ostrich. And then, it's a, then you see a picture of a pyramid, and you change a few pixels, and the machine says, it's an ostrich. That type of brittleness is a real problem. So in the Wired story, they called that out, and I realize it's a great way to explain the type uh, or the way that we built this new AI. You know, and I just want to say something else is that these these popular machine learning. Oh, I should maybe clarify what I mean by AI and ML machine learning, because a lot of I feel a lot of people conflate those as the same thing. So when I say AI, I, I am thinking this definition systems that act smart and then the machine learning are systems that learn through experience. And many AIs use machine learning, but not all. Anyway, I just kind of clarifying that's how I'm using those words. But the problem with the, the, this, this current batch of machine learning is you have to have labeled data or supervised. You need 80 million pictures of kitty cats that are labeled. They're super brittle. If you train it on 80 million kitty cats, but you forgot one style of rare cat that's in Persia, the machine can't recognize it. These are real problems. In, in entity resolution, this would lead to real trouble. Most organizations don't have that much data. You have to have deep data. You have to have labeled data. And the, and the, the models are just too brittle. So, And Jeff, in certain domains of entity resolution, I would imagine uh, false positives can be a big issue, right? It's really bad news when you have a false positive. Well, I guess in a marketing context, it's not that bad of a news if you you know, if a marketing company decides to send me a hair care product, I'm bald if you don't know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but if they go, this guy needs a hair care product, well, it better be for my eyebrows. <clears throat> um, yeah. So brittleness is a problem. And by the way, uh, uh, what you described to me sounds like a, a hybrid system, right? So one that uses rules, common sense with alongside machine learning and very much reminiscent of the work of uh uh, a friend of mine who who's at MIT, uh, uh, what uh, Josh Tenenbaum, who's given a keynote at one of our conferences. So basically, uh, uh, the idea is try to t teach machines to learn like we do, people. 
so 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 you don't need to uh, so his work he's trying to go towards a, a, a place where you don't need as much data that's what we've been able to achieve with the sensing entity resolution engine is it works really well on two records from wow. a domain that you've never even seen before wow. you've never done entity resolution let's say on restaurants from singapore the first two records you feed it it's really really already smart and then as you feed it more data it gets smarter and smarter so there's there's two things that we've intertwined one is common sense i'll just give you some examples the the one one type of common sense is the names dick dicky richie rick ricardo you know are all part of the same name family why why have to study millions and millions of records to learn that again? Haven't man already learned that? How about all the dozens of spellings of Mohammed? Should we have to wait for each company to have to learn that? Why wouldn't you just take that advanced knowledge and start with it? If the if the name is Arabic, then the words bin and Hajj aren't part of the name. And what about street addresses? You know, recognizing that 123 Main Street and 123 East Main Street are the same. Why have to have, learn that slowly over time? So our common sense involves libraries of things that really are learned for the world. Like we have a, a machine learned address parser that's been built off of the 5 billion data points in OpenStreetMaps. Well, good. No one else needs to do that. So next to common sense, there's the real-time learning. And so in real-time learning, we do, a, we do a few things there. One of the things that we do is you might have uh, somebody named Bob, but maybe they now have, they go by a nickname or an alias of Andy. Eventually, you might come to learn that. And so now, you know, you have to learn over time that Bob also has this nickname and Bob's lived at three addresses and this is his credit card number. Now he's got four phone numbers. And so you want to learn those over time. Another thing that, that you want to learn over time is passport numbers are generally good identifiers. That's part of the common sense. It's one of our principles as identifiers are decent in locating the same entity again. But maybe in the real-time learning, you come to realize that passport number 123 is not very discriminating because 50 people have it or 500 people have it. And you just want to be able to detect that in real time. So those are both types of real-time learning so that going forward, they're smarter. They know that Bob also goes by Andy, or they know that passport 123 is not discriminating. But what we do, which is super unique, is our processes correct the past in real time. I call it sequence neutrality. Did you re learn record A first, then B, then C? Or do you learn record C first, then B, then A? So the moment we discover something like passport number one, two, three isn't really discriminating, in real time we go backwards over the billions of records you may have ingested and say, now that I know that one, two, three is not a good passport, are there any decisions from the past I should fix? Wow. That's really hard to do at scale. And if you can't do that, your system starts to drift from the truth and then you have to reload everything periodically. These systems that we're creating are entity resolution systems, which really resolve identities and graph them. That, call it index of identities and how they're related, never has to be reloaded. It literally cleans itself up in the past. You can do maintenance on it while you're querying it, while you're loading new transactional data, while you're loading historical data. There's nothing really else like it at, that can work at this scale. It's really hard to do. So let me get a sense of, uh, of how you deploy something like sensing technology. So let's say I'm a new organization, new casino, new whatever, and I want to deploy sensing. First of all, how do I go about doing that? And you, you alluded to the fact that not much data is needed. So walk me through the kind of a deployment process. 
I'll start by saying we're in the business of taking a complicated task for programmers and making it easy. Think of us as we're just a library that you can compile in. You pass us a JSON message with identifiers, names, addresses, date of birth, phones, and so on, and we'll pass you back a JSON message that tells you if we've seen them before uh, or you know people that identities that are the same or possibly the same or related. That's the simplicity of it. And when asked, you know, what other kinds of companies are like that, Stripe's like that. You, if you want credit cards on your website, you can either go hire programmers to go figure all of that out and write interfaces between credit cards and banks, or you can just use Stripe. Well, that's what we are for entity resolution is exactly that. And so the way people experience it is they just go to the website and download it. And that's one of the things that's different about us is we don't say call for a quote. We put the prices on the website. We let people download it and use it for free. And if somebody has less than 10,000 records, it's just free. But, uh, but Jeff, uh, yeah. let's say that uh, my, my domain and my, uh, my domain and my contacts is quite specific. So how soon before the system picks up on the intricacies of my situation? You just have to map it. You're going to, there's a bunch of preset f- fields. You can add your own. So if you didn't have a, field for like Canadian citizenship ID, you could add that. But for most organizations, the fields are already pre-mapped. So all you have to do is put your name in a name field and address in an address field and date of birth and phone, whatever you have. And it's, it works out of the box. You can put in manufacturers in China, restaurants from Singapore, people from US or Europe, and it just works. It's what's so different about it. We have a single set of principles that hold true across people, companies, vessels, cars, it's just so radically different than anything else. 80% of the people that download it and try it, it just works very first pass. So uh, I guess you just alluded to the fact that it also works across languages. Yeah, you can use it in Mandarin. You can go from literally people, you know, US-centric marketing data to Mandarin manufacturers or vessels. Vessels have vessel names. They have IMO numbers, which are like VIN numbers on cars. They have call signs and vessel names, you can just, you can do that in Mandarin and it'll all work at the same time out of the box. It's a very generalized AI for this very specific problem of matching identities. So without naming company names, can you uh, describe some of the most popular use cases that you've encountered so far for Sensing? Uh, Sure. Probably the most popular one right now is fraud. It's for big financial institutions that are trying to find clever, clever bad people that are stealing from them. If you can't figure out who's who and who's related to who, it's very difficult to find bad guys. And I'll tell you, this comes from some, I'll call me a late bloomer, but I only realized this after, God, man, decades of doing work in bad guy hunting, starting in Vegas and then uh, doing work with governments and trying to find insiders and insider threats and terrorists and stuff like that. There's a single primary deception tradecraft bad guys use. And this holds true for, you know, for All right. Camp- so what is it? Don't. <laughs> what, what? Let you us know. know. Let us know. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to tell you. It's, I call it um, channel separation. No, now, what that basically means is no one uses the same name, address, and phone on every record. Only the idiots would do that. They'll use different combinations of fields. They'll use this name and address and phone over there, and they'll use a different name address and phone on the other record. And if you can't figure out how to see across that, you can't catch them. Yeah, yeah. So, Jeff, uh, these days, so I guess these days is a bit more challenging with, I don't know, burner phones and voice over IP phone numbers. So there's more unlimited number of phone numbers they can cycle through. 
Absolutely. And if you're really, really good, you don't have any leakage of any of the features between those identity records. What bad guys don't want to do is they don't want you to know that this, when they went over here and bought the diesel, you know, diesel fuel, fertilizer, and a rental truck is kind of a bad combination. Well, maybe they'll use three completely IDs on all three of those, and there'll be absolutely nothing that binds them together. Well, then not even a divine being could entity resolve those. And they can also steal uh, credit card numbers, right? Totally. I mean, I could just steal your identity and just pretend I'm you. The question is what features might be presented that would unravel that. And maybe somebody picked up a face or a voice. Maybe it's geospatial about where the phone hangs out. I mean, it depends what kind of company it is and what data they have legal rights to. So do you mainly use, I guess, structured data in the sense that you have very well-defined fields like name, driver's license number, and so on and so forth. But can someone use your technology to identify someone using just patterns? Like, in other words, can you can I use your technology to identify that these two Twitter accounts are the same person? I don't know that we have anybody doing that. It's not, I wouldn't call it a sweet spot, but it's a plug-in architecture. So if somebody wanted to analyze the structure of tweets and characterize those as a vector, and then compare two vectors, you could plug in a language analysis comparator to see if two different pieces of language written text are probably by the same person. Like somebody could plug something in like that. You could plug in, is their voice similar? The, the, the features that come out of the box are name, address, date of birth, IDs, phones, geospatial data, lat long and time, maybe a few others but people could add their own. So maybe people will do that at some point, but we're not working on that now. So yeah, natural for the engine is is more structured features. Although you don't have to figure out which part of the name is the first or last name. You can just pass in the whole name and the engine figures it out. You don't have to parse the address and the address one, two, three, city, state, dip. You can just make it one bag of words. So as long as you label a bag of words address, it's good to go. If you mislabel it, the plane dive bombs and everyone gets hurt. So you have to label. So we've talked about how well this technology works today, but you've been working in this field for a long time. I'm sure there's many outstanding challenges that remain. So what are some of the things that you're excited about working on and overcoming in the next year or so? Yeah, you know, the thing, the biggest trouble people are having with it right now is if you mismap the information, it misbehaves. If you put the passport number in the date of birth field, for example. And so the number one thing we're trying to do now is have the system automatically map data by looking at it and then prevent people from hurting themselves. That to us is, I think, the most important thing. I see. I see. So uh, you you also kind of uh, hinted at your ability to recompute on the fly uh, once you learn something new. Um, yeah. So to what extent is that made possible by current hardware. In other words, uh, would that would this have been possible five years ago, ten years ago? Yes, it was possible five or ten years ago. The ident the Nora technology, as that evolved out of the casinos, and then today that the technology Identity Insight, which again I think of like my oldest daughter, that had a great ability to change its mind about the past. And re- really, you could do thousands of transactions a second on databases with tens of billions of input records, and yeah, thousands a second fix the past. There were a few conditions, though, that were too expensive to correct in the past. And we've worked through most of those in the sensing engine. And one of them took 
one of my top engineer one year wow. to fix one subtle thing about changing the past. So you, before, before sensing, of course, you were an IBM fellow and chief scientist, as you mentioned earlier. Now you're the CEO. So I've always thought of you as one of our role model alpha geeks, man. So uh, are you still, uh, do you still have time to, to think and hack and geek out? I'm geeking out a little bit less, I must admit. My, you know, my SRD company that I sold to IBM, I was the CEO of that. And then one day I just got sick and tired of it. So I hired a real CEO and demoted myself to chief scientist so I could get back to the real creative stuff. And I didn't really enjoy the business design. But I've got to tell you that my engineering team on average has been with me like 12 or 13 years. My head of engineering ran the 80 plus person I had at a team I had at IBM that ran this group. They don't need much help. They, they have, we have one engineering meeting a week for 30 minutes and usually finish in 15. So the engineering is really under control. So I am enjoying, though, being the CEO and doing the business design. And the problem with entity resolution, to be candid, is all the existing technologies that are out there that are good are a million dollars and only for the minimum and only for the elite. Well, what about the pet store owners with duplicates on their Christmas mailing list? And so I'm really focused on democratizing it. So it's 10 times less expensive and everybody can get access to the world-class stuff. And so you have to do that. You've got to do things like not allow people to hurt themselves. You got to take the friction out, like let people download it without an email address. Like our competitors can download it, the Russians can download it and use it. So that's what I'm working on. And it's, I'm actually having fun to be quite candid. Yeah, it sounds like it. And by the way, in closing, when you were in IBM, one of the things that I knew you for was doing all of this crazy Ironman triathlons. <laughs> All over the world, but now you have you're a CEO of a startup, uh, answerable to VCs and investors. So can you still do Ironman triathlons? Yeah, I do all the new ones to stay uh, stay current with the list. <laughs> Two this year, Cork Ireland's coming up next, and one in Spain. And so you still fit it in somehow in your crazy startup uh, schedule. Definitely. You know, we're not a normal startup, Ben, because we licensed the code. The code went into production in 2012 while at IBM. So the code's done. Right. The team is already built and formed. And we have a cross-license patent agreement that is about 100 patents. So it's, it's just not a normal startup. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So, uh, Jeff Jonas, it's been great catching up. It's uh, been too long since we last spoke. And uh, thank you for coming on The Data Show. Thanks for having me, Ben. As a reminder, Jeff Jonas will be speaking at the O'Reilly Artificial Intelligence Conference in London this coming October. You can follow Jeff Jonas on Twitter, at Jeff Jonas. Thanks for joining us. If you like the show, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn.com or SoundCloud or Spotify and never miss an episode. Mm-hmm.